0: Cloudy day, down a long stretch of highway. I know this day's gonna be my friend, long as I'm here, baby, in the flat lanes,
1: Welcome to the Only One Shot Golf Podcast. I'm Jim Gallagher. Special thanks to Steve Azar for allowing us to use his music, and you can uh, find Steve at steveazar.com. Don't forget to subscribe to wherever you get your Podcast. We appreciate everybody that's been listening the last couple of years. It's been a lot of fun to do. Don't forget to get your copy of Only One Shot. That's by VJ Trollio and that's available on Amazon. Today we have Alan Bratton, the head coach of the Oklahoma State Cowboys. He's uh, played there for four years as an All American, won seven times, the fourth most in Oklahoma State history, and was on the national championship team. Uh, He coached uh, the women's side. He's coached uh, now the men's side, has won a national championship, and he's one of the bright uh, uh, coaches in college golf. Of course, he played the tour back uh, in the 90s, and just a good player, a good coach, and uh, it's good to know uh, Coach Bratton a little bit better and how he's continuing to keep the success of the Oklahoma State Cowboys rolling.
0: all
1: right it's my pleasure to introduce alan bratton oklahoma state men's golf coach alan thanks for spending some time with me today
0: yeah thanks jim
2: a pleasure to come on
1: well we've known each other back in our tour days but uh i always kind of like to get to know our guests or have our guests get uh, our audience to kind of get to know them better. Who got you started and who was your big influence early on in your, just your playing days?
0: Yeah,
2: you know, nobody in my family played any golf, and it's it's kind of interesting, or I think it is, yeah. at least the way I got started. My my dad had a set of clubs, but uh, no one in my family played. But my brother and I went out in the backyard to smack the ball around, and he's five years older than me, and and uh, he, he was – I was behind him. He told me to back up a little bit. I didn't listen like a typical little brother. I moved right back up as he started to swing. And I took a club right in the left forehead. Wow. I've still got a pretty good dent in my head from then. Went to the hospital, concussion, stitches, all kinds of stuff. So that was my first introduction to golf when I was five. I didn't hit another shot until I was 11. And uh, I had stayed home with some family friends. My parents had gone on vacation. And they took me out to play golf, and I I got hooked right away. So I taught myself how to play. I read uh, Golf Digest and just kind of watched on TV and learned as much as I could. I was a pretty good athlete with good hand-eye coordination, so I picked it up pretty quick. And then we were lucky uh, in College Station, where I grew up, uh, there was a man named Mike Higgins, who had played the tour years ago. He had played college golf for Texas A&M for a man named Henry Ransom, who was a a very good player about Ben Hogan's age and uh, I had gotten to where I could shoot around par and my, my parents sent me to some lessons for him and we worked together five or six times and he wanted me to change some stuff and uh, I was arrogant enough that I didn't want to do that mm. and uh, so I stopped taking lessons but over the, the next year I worked on all the things that he that he told me and was able to implement uh, those things and and um, got a lot better and just progressed through uh, local junior golf, the state stuff to some national, uh, things and, and was fortunate to be recruited by Oklahoma state. But, um, yeah, very, very much self-made.
1: Did you play other sports like most kids did uh, growing up?
2: I did. I, I played, uh, baseball was the first thing that I played and then, uh, played baseball, football, basketball, just like, uh, most kids. But, um, you know, my, my brother and sister weren't that into sports. The rest of my family was. And, you know, uh, I'd play catch with my dad or whatever. But if I was home, I was throwing the football to myself maybe. And I loved that golf, I didn't have to have anybody else. I could just go out there and, and play. And, and you couldn't really master it. Until you shoot 18, you can always get better. So uh-huh. uh, I love that that element of it. And um, eventually started quitting other sports. Uh, By the time I was in high school, I just played golf and then a little bit of baseball. I still played baseball in the summer for my freshman and sophomore year of high school. And then uh, for the rest of the time, I was all golf.
1: You said you grew up in College Station, but you went to Oklahoma State. Uh, Why Oklahoma State? And maybe, you know, what other places did you look at?
2: You know, I really, I took visits a couple of other places, but uh, Oklahoma State was where I wanted to be.
0: Okay. Uh, I
2: grew up in College Station, like I said, and then I think you'll appreciate I, uh, if I remember right. I've, actually, when I was three, we moved to Knoxville, Tennessee. Oh, okay.
0: Uh, so
2: my dad taught at the University of Tennessee and um, moved away from there when I was 10 back to College Station. Um, so always loved Texas A&M and, and the University of Tennessee, but um, when I started looking at college golf. So it would have been about 1984, 85. At that time, you had Scott Verplank win the the U.S. Amateur in 84. Then he won the Western Open as an amateur in 85. And then you had Bob Twade dominating the tour in 1986. And as I looked around, whether it was Golf World Magazine or uh, Golf Week or Golf Digest, that was kind of my news for college golf. Um, all the best players were going to Oklahoma State. So I had that as a as a dream, I guess. I didn't know if I would ever get good enough, but I felt like they must be doing something right up there. Uh, so that's where I wanted to go. And I practiced some with the guys at Texas A&M. And the coach at Texas A&M, he didn't know it, but he provided me a lot of motivation. It was maybe my sophomore year. I was I was still not ranked or anything, but I was a good local player and they used to run me off their practice area. They had a little practice area, a little green, and a place to hit balls at the university golf course, and they used to chase me off of there. And um, the, the A&M coach was talking to my high school coach, and basically kind of asked him, you know, why does Allen not pay any attention to, you know, A&M golf or whatever? And he said, well, he wants to go to Oklahoma State. And uh, the coach told my high school coach, he said, well, he'll never be good enough to go there Uh-oh. and um, my high school coach passed that on to me and I had no idea if I would either yeah but uh, I was sure set out to prove that guy wrong and I think I did
1: yeah you sure did that's an awesome story because there's always something that motivates somebody uh, or, or some kid along the way that says hey I'm gonna prove you wrong and I'm gonna be able to do that and that's that's I didn't know that and of course you went to Knoxville you loved orange it made it easy to go to Oklahoma State just a little different shade of orange you know, you just kind of fell, That's right. fell in love with the Orange, but uh, Coach Holder always has done a great job, the history at Oklahoma State, but what were those first year or two like for you, and as you said, because you've won seven times, you're on national championship team there, what were those first few years like, uh, now your dreams come true, uh, and you're at Oklahoma State?
2: Yeah, you know, I, my senior year in high school, I was lucky that Oklahoma State got to, they played two tournaments that weren't too far away, they played one at uh, the TPC of the Woodlands, mm-hmm. big college tournament there, which that was a golf course that I love. That's where I first saw the, the pros play. I used to go to the Houston Open every year. Duke Butler was a good friend of the yep. family. He, he was from College Station and always looked out for me because there hadn't been a, a good player come out of there in a long time. And um, So I got to go see our guys play there, and then they played in Austin. So I went and watched, and I thought, oh, my, what have I gotten myself into? Just watching them, I thought they were – significantly better than me and and then when i arrived at oklahoma state i was really fortunate uh the other freshman that year was a guy named chris tidlin Uh and um he had walked on at oklahoma state and he was friends with bob may who was a senior on the team and uh chris and i struck up a friendship we had a lot of things in common really not a lot of other hobbies just golf was all we did and and um we actually redshirted that year and uh, I got another eye opener. The first qualifying we played, we had twelve guys on the team, and uh, we played Stillwater Country Club. And we played. I played with Brian Montgomery and Kevin Wentworth. And at that time, Kevin Wentworth was a two-time first-team All-American, mm-hmm. and Brian Montgomery had played in the Masters twice and had won the U.S. Junior and won the PGA Junior. And but uh, Brian wasn't making the lineup, and then Kevin was our best player, and. That day, Kevin hit it all over the lot and shot 70. And Brian looked like the best player in the world, shot 65. And I thought I played good. And I shot 73, and Chris Sidman shot 80. And we were maybe 10th and 12th that on that day's list. And again, I thought, what have I gotten myself into? I'm not near good enough. But uh, put in a lot of work, and uh, he and I were determined to be the hardest working guys on the team, be it the course last and and we had a wonderful team that year um the year that i had gone to watch guys my senior year in high school we had the best team in the country that was 1990 Mm
0: -hmm. and
2: we didn't win arizona state won and in our first meeting as a freshman coach holder told us we were going to win the national championship that we had the best team and i thought well he must say that every year but i never heard him say it again for the really in my five years he only said it that one time, and he was right. And um, I, w- I was really blessed that Bob May was um, ineligible that fall. So Chris Tidlin and I practiced with Bob May every single day while the team was gone. And and uh, like I say, I redshirted that year, and, and I would still go back and say that was my favorite year of college golf because I laid the foundation for what I was able to do o- over the next four years. And, and I didn't really realize how much better I had gotten until I went home and played the golf course that I had grown up playing on. And, and, you know, you play against people that you're familiar with. And I realized how much better I've got. So I would still fall back and say that was my favorite year. We did win the national championship that year when I redshirted and uh, that laid the foundation. I I feel like I became a good player uh, that year and I didn't play a single tournament. Yeah.
1: I was going to ask you what are you telling yourself at that moment, but you pretty much did. So I'm going to prove that I can do that. And that's, that's the thing when you go to a school like Oklahoma state with so much history, so many great players, you just, you got to step it up. You got to work harder than the next guy. And, and of course you're coaching now and all, but uh, I always ask, you know, and you, it's probably a little early to ask it, but you know, what separates that elite player from maybe the rest? I mean, you've, you've played it you've played the PGA tour, you've coached these top players. What separates that elite player from the rest? Uh, I think that that
2: competitiveness is one. I, I didn't, I didn't realize how rare, maybe the way I thought when I was being recruited to Oklahoma state, uh, I had other coaches tell me, well, you don't want to go there because you'll have to redshirt." And, and I took that as well. The coach must think I'm eventually going to play
0: mm-hmm. or
2: why would he recruit me? And if I can just be their fifth man, I must be better than your guys. If you're telling me I'm a player right away. So Uh, But I've I've learned that 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 kind of thinking, I just wanted to be good. Mm -hmm. I didn't care if it was the first year, second year. I'd watched in football a guy red shirt and then not play for a year, maybe not two years. And then he might win the Heisman and go be a first round draft pick. So that's what I heard when Coach Holder was up front and said, you know, we got a good team and, you know, we're going to kind of under offer on scholarship. If I can get two guys for a half, I'd rather do that than one on a full. And all of that made sense to me. So I think a competitiveness like that, and a, and a want to to prove yourself. I don't think there's anything more competitive you could ever want to do than play the PGA tour.
0: I don't know that there's
2: any professions in the world that you can be number 126 in the world and lose your job. Mm. Um, and that's how it was when you and I mm-hmm. um, played the PGA Tour. And, and that's, that's one thing. You were a tour player. I played the PGA Tour. I make that uh, distinction with my players because I just, I just had an opportunity. I played one year on the PGA Tour. Six years as a pro, but only one year. So I say I played the PGA Tour. I wasn't a tour player. I didn't have a career out there. But, um, so elite players, I think that competitiveness is one. I think you got to love the game. Um, it's a lonely world. Um, you know, you've got to love going out there every single day. Um, and then three, I think you've got to be confident enough to be coached and look for help, whether that's you observing other people or asking coaches for help. And uh, that's another one that you would think would be an aid in people. But, um, it seems to me, our best players are usually, it takes a confidence, um, to, want to know the truth or want to know how to get better, uh, which is also rare. Um, So I think that's three things, that competitiveness, confidence, and a love of the game. That's three things that I think um, separate our best players from the others. Is
1: that something Coach Holder kind of brought out in you and and the rest of his players? What did you learn from Coach Holder, not only as a player, but now that you're coaching?
0: I always tell
2: people what I learned from him was uh, what excellence was all about. Um, I had an example of excellence in front of me every single day, and I actually thought I knew what good was mm-hmm. before I got to OSU. I was around a great university that I thought was pretty good at athletics. The football team was pretty good there when Jackie Sherrill came in. and um, But I learned uh, from looking at the – athletic program at Oklahoma State, what our baseball team was doing at that time, the wrestling program, um, the basketball team, Eddie Sutton was coaching us, and we we got really good while I was there. And then Coach Holder uh, just set a standard every single day of what was acceptable and what was not. He didn't pass out praise readily, um, and that was intentional. He talked about his upbringing, how his parents, uh, he was an only child, he could do no wrong. So eventually their compliments didn't mean anything. Mm-hmm. And um, when he praised you, you knew you were, uh, you did something good Yeah, and he didn't throw around, he didn't throw around good or great casually like most of the world tends to do. And um, so we just, we learned how to do things right. I can remember being at a tournament and uh, it, it was raining and I had a rain jacket on my and I, you know, it stopped raining, so I took it off and kind of wadded it up and put it in my golf bag, and uh, I thought he was going to rip my head off. And He made <laughs> it clear that a guy that played for him didn't do that, and he showed me how to fold up that rain suit, roll it up, make sure that thing didn't come out wrinkled the next time it was time for me to 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 put that on. And, and uh, I mean, he just – again, I wasn't a guy that needed – a pat on the back my dad was very much the same way um you know he told me what i needed to do to get better and um you know praised me when it was warranted so uh that's what coach holder was for me was an example of excellence every single day um in everything that we did and he did the same stuff if he practiced with us he practiced and competed harder than we did if he was in the weight room working out uh, he wasn't going to do, he wasn't ask us to do anything that he wouldn't do. And he was going to kick our ass at it as well. So, um, I could never thank him enough for that. And I know that I fall short of that in leading our team, but certainly I still, you know, use that to, uh, uh to, to try to be in the, in the same way with my own personality and spin on, on that same example.
1: You know, sometimes you just got to tell the truth and not what you want to hear. I think that's the toughest part of coaching. It's the toughest part of parenting, it's just being honest and truthful. And, you know, when you're trying to get somebody to do something, you got to tell them the truth because if you tell them what they want to hear, they're probably not going to excel uh, very well. But you mentioned the tour. You played the tour. You played professionally. Uh, you, you went to work for Ping, as I recall, for a couple of years. What'd you do with them uh, after you quit playing?
0: Yeah, so.
2: Uh... When I, I played the PJ Tour in 1999, and I started out that year probably with the right mindset. Mm-hmm. I wasn't arrogant enough to think I was going to go out there and take the tour by storm, but uh, I did feel prepared. I played around the world, and, and I can lean on you as, as a reason, part of the reason why I quit. I can remember you hitting a, some kind of high cut three iron <laughs> off the, the fourth hole at Colonial. And I'm like, I can't hit that shot. I don't have that. So um, I I remember that 100%. I was in the group behind you, and you know, I just remember a shot you hit. So I saw my deficiencies out there on the tour as the year went. At the start of the year, I just wanted to get a little better each week. I had a little bit of success at the start, and then the rest of the year was all I saw was my deficiencies. So Mm. I decided until I got better at certain things, that I wouldn't be able to compete. And that was a big mistake. I should have stuck with the. just some guys get to stay out there because they just figure it out. And I discounted probably all the years of experience that guys had and what that meant. And, yeah, they were better than me, but they also had, I thought I was experienced at 27 because I'd had a nice amateur career and traveled a little bit of the world. And so when I decided to stop playing, one the first thing I did was, I probably never would have stopped except that Texas A&M was hiring a golf coach.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Their coach retired, Bob Ellis retired. They were going to hire a coach. I felt like they were a program that should be great. Um, I grew up there. I understood the school. I felt like I should be qualified to be a, a college golf coach. This was in 2000. So I played the PGA tour in 99. Uh, I played the corn Ferry tour in 2000. I can tie into your family in 2000 because I, I had a chance to win one tournament on the corn fairy tour. I needed to birdie the last hole, uh, to get in a playoff with your brother. Oh boy! And I I came up just short. He ended up winning, but, uh, I ended up, I think I lost by two because I made bogey on the last, but anyway, um, in 2000, I wasn't happy with what I was, what I was doing. I had a baby on the way and I felt like I had played the two best tours in the world. And I'd made a couple hundred thousand one year and a hundred thousand the next year. And I wasn't saving any money. I felt like I'd be happy doing something else. And that something else was going to be a college golf coach if I could get it. And I felt like if I didn't get that job, I would just go back to playing. Mm
0: -hmm. And uh, I didn't
2: tell anyone that I was thinking about that. I felt like that was a decision that I needed to make on my own. Uh, So when I, I was signed up for the second stage of tour school and I withdrew, And flew home, and I was waiting on the front doorstep when my wife got home. I thought she was going to drop the baby right there. Um, (laughs) She didn't know I was coming home and had no job and was going to try this other path. So uh, in trying to get the job at Texas A&M, which um, I was told I wasn't qualified for, I talked to a, a couple other coaches, and I got offered a job as Bruce Hepler's assistant coach at Georgia tech. Mm -hmm. And then cricket mush offered me a job at Ping, working in the tour department. And Bruce had been our assistant coach at Oklahoma state. So that was one thing I could do, but I felt like I should always be qualified to be a college golf coach, even though I had an athletic director tell me I wasn't. Um, And I thought, well, if I go to work at Ping, that opens up another Avenue potentially, whether it be within the company or into some other business. So I thought that made sense. So I worked in the tour department for Ping uh, for three years, which was an amazing blessing to learn about equipment and fitting clubs. And then most importantly, I got to spend some time on all three tours in a whole different perspective. I got to see management companies from a whole different perspective. Um, And I really learned a lot. Uh, My job was to cover the college teams. And then we started, they changed the USGA rules. Where you could give equipment to junior golfers. Mm-hmm. So I got to see junior golfers and build relationships with them and kind of watch them develop. Uh, and then I got to go out on the senior tour. That was my other part uh, of my job and, and to spend time with those guys out there that had been playing the game for a living for 30 plus years was a, you know, uh, graduate degree in, in just golf excellence. I right. felt like. I learned a ton from from watching those guys. So that three years has really served me well and uh, I think just gives me a, a well-rounded uh, perspective as then I jumped back into coaching in 2004.
1: And I remember because uh, Kathleen, my daughter, you were coaching on the women's side. I think you were doing kind of both. And I, I would think, because I always remember the guys at Oklahoma State always having ping equipment and playing that, or a lot of them did, kind of had that tie in there. But I, I never really – I learned more about, I guess, the equipment side of it when I kind of quit playing. But it is fascinating even to hear you say that, that they could give juniors that. Because I remember Kathleen was playing, and Sissy goes, you know she can get golf balls. I said, no, she can't. They can't give them golf balls. And she goes – and I had I totally didn't know. I, I just totally thought they couldn't do those things. And, and it's really changed because tour departments of all these major manufacturers have those – tour departments for juniors and college players it's amazing what they put in there and they're you know betting on the future and now you know everything else has changed but it is an amazing uh, process you went through there but you got back to oklahoma state uh, coaching there i remember you on the women's side because of kathleen playing uh what did you enjoy and what was it like coaching the women's side uh there at uh, oklahoma state
2: yeah that was another great um education um i came back in 2004 and mostly helped just the men in 2000, uh, the, just the last couple months of the 2004 season and then all of the 2005. And then from 2006 until through the 2011 uh, season, I was assistant for the men and the women. So would go recruit and help coach both. And our current assistant coach, Donnie Dar, mm-hmm. he and I were assistants for both. So we would travel with both teams and try to help both. And, And learned a lot from that. And then in 2011, I took over as the head women's coach. And I wouldn't have done that had I not had the opportunity to be an assistant and help the women.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: Um, And I enjoyed it. I actually thought I was going to do that forever. Um, I think it's made me a better coach all the way around. I was a lot more careful about what I said. Um, Mm -hmm. But they were easy to coach. The girls wanted to be coached, Mm -hmm. I felt like whether that was their ego was a little less or, um, you know, they wanted help. They wanted the structure. They wanted guidance. And uh, so I really enjoyed it. And the girls that we had, we were fortunate in 2009. We had three girls that played the Solheim Cup. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we had a great group of competitive girls. And I just tried to coach them as I felt like good players should be coached. And I've told people that I really don't think there's much difference between men and women. The only thing that I did different was, um, you know,
0: discipline or
2: things like that. I started to do one on one, Mm -hmm. which I've actually probably carried that over for the most part with the men. And then I was, like I say, I was much more careful about what I said. I would, I would run some things by our assistant coach. Um, but I still brought tears. I think I hit for the cycle. I think I made everyone on (laughs) try at at one time or another. Um, you succeeded. So that yeah. took a little adjustment, but I, I actually got numb to it anyway. It didn't even faze me. Um, because I just, there were times that it didn't matter what you said. You could tell yeah, someone's going to cry. Yeah. And, um, but I tell you what, our girls were super competitive, um, passionate about trying to be great. And, and for us to have a really good team. And in, in 2012, um, 12, we won our first two tournaments. Uh, The first tournament, I think we were – I think we might have been down 17 shots, something like that, going into the final round, and we won. Wow. Then we won the next one. We we didn't continue to build on that. But then the following year, we did. And uh, I want to say we finished seventh at Nationals, something like that. Maybe that's better than we did. But we had a good team. We won the Big 12. Mm -hmm. And I never thought I would be coaching men again. I was ready to coach our women's team uh, for the rest of my – my career. But in 2013, I was asked to come back and and coach our men's team. But we remain close with our women's uh, program. They're doing great. They're doing great. What Maddie And Greg are doing um, has been fantastic. And I really enjoyed while our team didn't do very good. I I helped coach the Palmer Cup team Mm
1: -hmm.
2: uh, last December. So I had an opportunity to help coach, you know, women in a competitive environment again. And and I loved, again, the fire that they that they showed and the passion at that event, the Palmer Cup to represent the U.S. and that uh, that was that was fun to um, to get to it, enjoy that a- again. So uh, I'm really blessed to have been able to coach on both sides of it.
1: You mentioned recruiting. What are you looking for in a player? You both you recruited both men and women, but uh, you're coaching the men now. But what are you looking for in a player? What were you looking for in players uh, back when you're recruiting? Yeah,
2: um, you know. I've got a lot of experience around really good players over the last how many years. So just looking for things that I've seen in good players before. uh, I think there's a, you're always there. Obviously there's physical things of, you know, speed and power and uh, consistency. Um, I like to see them be able to launch the ball in the same window over and over again. Uh, I like to see golf swings that don't look taught Mm-hmm. I want them to – I want the player to own um, the motion that they have, the golf swing that they have. Um, so, like, the first time I saw Matthew Wolf, I loved it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I tend to look at the downswing rather than the backswing. Um, you know, Ricky Fowler had a different kind of move. And I've just seen guys – you know, golf mo- has to be the most overtaught endeavor anybody's ever tried. And I hate to see when – kids go the wrong direction. And when it looks like they've been taught something that scares me that they're not going to be able to sustain whatever they're doing. So I look for those kind of natural golf swings. Um, I like to see kids try to shape the ball, change the ball flight, um, work the ball back into the wind if they can. I mean, that's rare that you see a junior golfer do that. Uh, but at least I I like to see kids that look like they're looking at the game in that way. Um, as a shot maker. Um, and then, you know, then you're looking for that competitiveness. we talked about when you get a chance to, to visit with them. I love to evaluate kids in match play. That's why the U S junior is so great mm-hmm. to compete at or to recruit at. Cause you get to see what they do when a win or a loss is on the line. And that's rare in a stroke play event that you get to see that Where in match play. You get to see it every single hole. Um, so, so those are the things that I
1: look for. Yeah, because the, game, the, the game's change so much, even from when and I'm older than you are, but even from our days how much equipment and technology. And there's a lot to be said about the natural. They always tease me on TV when I watch somebody try to flight it or somebody hit a little different shot than the standard stock shot. It's just like, oh, I love that shot. And it's just because that's what we had to do. Uh, and the creativity is kind of I'm not saying it's leaving the game but it's it's a rare thing to see people play creative uh and and, you know you talked about Matt Wolf, and and he owned it it was his technique and why would you change something Jim Furyk's dad I remember him saying you know look at his golf swing you need to change it well Jim Furyk's had a hall of fame career so if it's their own and they can handle it under pressure that's that's the big key and I agree there's so many I watch kids today, and I don't know about your team, I'm sure, because everybody has these great practice facilities, but they don't spend enough time playing. They just spend time on the range, and it just seems like they're just hitting balls. And uh, What's a typical practice day for you all uh, when you're out there? I know things change with qualifying, but what's a typical day for Oklahoma State men's team?
2: Yeah, our guys actually do play quite a bit. I still butt heads with coach holder. He, Mm -hmm. (laughs) for a lot of years, we didn't ride golf carts here and Carson Creek is a big, big facility. And in 2018, we decided, you know, we're playing the national championship at our golf course. We should probably make it as convenient as we can for Mm -hmm. our guys to get around there and, and go. So, uh, we encourage our guys to spend time out on the golf course. Um, most of our organized activities are on the golf course. Um, we like to do individual practices as well. Um, we don't, we don't ever have a, other than playing a a day where you've got, you know, 12 guys all on the range hitting balls, doing something. We we may have them all do the same thing in a day, but it'll be a one-on-one kind of deal. They may go through some drills or some short game stuff, but we're going to get them out on the golf course and, and, Uh, get them to understand how to play the game. We're going to practice in crosswinds a lot. I think that's a separator, Mm -hmm. knowing how to hold your ball back into the wind. Um, And we do play a lot. Our guys will zip around here. We get no play at Karsten Creek. We own the golf course, so very limited access um, from other people. We pretty much have it to ourselves, and we'll have guys play 36 holes a day.
1: Wow, I would have loved that. I could have done that all day long. Uh, Not that I despise the driving range, but I just don't. I just got more out of playing uh, because I could. I could use my mind to hit those shots. Not that you don't need to practice, but I would have loved that. But you you mentioned earlier workouts, and my wife Sissy said, "Did you guys work out?" And I said, "No, unless we did it on our own." But man, that has changed. And how did you? You know, you've got to have guys, and you're seeing it more and more on the golf side of of the speed. Everybody's trying to get speed and be specific to golf. Uh, Y'all work out a ton as well. How important has that uh, been to the uh, continuing the tradition at Oklahoma State and keeping those players uh, picking up their speed and becoming better players and and, uh, staying in shape? Yeah, the workouts have become –
2: they've always, I think, been important, or at least athleticism was important. And I was fortunate to play for a coach that um, didn't limit us to those kind of things. Because at that time, people said, oh, golfers can't work out. You're going to get sore. You're going to get stiff. You're going to get whatever. And, and coach liked to recruit athletic guys. We've continued that. I love it when someone's played another sport. And that's how we try to work out as well, to be an overall athlete. And, um, you know, there's more knowledge about what it takes to train properly, I think, uh, for golf. And we're fortunate. One of our former players, uh, toward the end of his playing career, Jonathan Moore immersed himself into that world has trained under a great physical therapist and, uh, worked with lots of different strength and conditioning guys, whether it be when he was playing or since he's gotten out. So he heads up our strength and conditioning program. And, um, I think he does a phenomenal job. Uh, we're in the weight room three or four days a week in the morning. Um, and then our guys are, they've got class and then they're out of the golf course playing and practicing all afternoon. And uh, I mentioned, you know, coach Holder wasn't fully on board with the riding of carts, but, and that was kind of his, his thing. He mm-hmm. felt like you need to, there's a toughness, there's a athleticism, the is a part of the game. And when we do our qualifying at Carson Creek, we're, we're going to walk, but, if we're just out practicing and playing, we're going to maximize our time and ride. So, and I have to tell him when well, we do the conditioning stuff in the weight room so that, you know, when we come out here, this is, this is golf stuff, but, uh, Jonathan and the rest of our strength staff do a wonderful job. Um, and it, it doesn't always have to look like golf mm-hmm. as you're doing it, but, but your body certainly needs to powers. I, I chuckle when, you know, people talk now like the game's changed so much that now power is a big part of the game. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's ever been a superstar player that didn't bomb it. I mean, it's always an advantage to hit it for
1: Absolutely. Um,
2: I can remember Coach Holder telling us, he asked us when I was in school, if you could change one stat, what would it be? And he, you know, we all had our opinion. He said, you know, hit it 10 or 15 yards farther. Mm-hmm. If you hit it farther, the game, the game is easier, so – Uh, We certainly encourage our guys, but at the same time, that's not all it is. The Mm -hmm. world tends to tell guys now that, you know, you have to do that. Well, it's always an advantage, but there's a cost as well. If you just get out there trying to wail at it, Um, you know, you still have to control your ball and uh, you just have to figure out what makes you go. I think the, the best players in the world, they figure out who they are and they do that well. And if you can do that, then you've got a chance to uh, play for a living for a long time.
1: Absolutely. I, I looked at the Big 12. Of course, you see it every year and how competitive it is with five, six teams that just beating each other's brains out each, each and every week you all play against each other. And the expectations at Oklahoma State, how do you deal with those expectations to continue the tradition and the consistency that you all have?
0: Yeah, they asked me
2: that when I – first took over the job, like, you know, how do you deal with that? And that's all I know really in college golf. Um, I I was a product of that and benefited from those expectations as a player. And that's part of our recruiting. You know, we have to find guys that can deal with that. Um, We've had a program for 74 years, I believe. So there's been 73 national championships in that time. And we finished in the top five 56 times out of 73. Um, so there's not a lot that can be done around here other than the bad stuff, but I don't know why you would want anything else. Why not have high expectations and high dreams for yourself? Um, with all of that, we've got amazing support, whether that's from our alumni that have played the tour or are playing the tour now, wanting to help, wanting to come back and support, um, or our, you know, regular alumni that, care about what we're a part of and want to help us financially that give us advantages like having a facility like Karsten Creek um, or being able to travel privately or, or whatever it might be. Our support is unprecedented um, in that way. And so the resources we have, the human resources we have are the best thing that, that we have going, whether that's putting together a group of 12 driven, really competitive guys. That's the best resource I can, provide to a, a junior golfer if they want to play the tour is great players around you to push you. And then from there you've got coaches that you can lean on for advice or if our voice isn't getting it done, we can call up Ricky Fowler or Victor Hovland mm-hmm. or uh, Bob Tway or Scott Burplank or uh, Taylor Gooch, any number of guys uh, that would love to to help our guys and be a sounding board for them of how you do these things, that they want to do. We've got some wallpaper up in the clubhouse at Karsten Creek to honor the great achievements of our teams and, and really good players from the past. And, and we hope that our guys don't just walk past that and see it as a decoration. We hope that it's motivation and allows them to, if it's a day they don't want to work to get out there and work or to, to feel like they can do those same things. And, I was really proud of our team in 2018 and 19. We had to redo every single wall in the building. We had guys be national players of the year.
0: Uh We had
2: uh, guys win the individual conference championship, the team conference championship, the NCAA individual, the NCAA team. We had first, second, and third team All-Americans. We had a guy win the U.S. Amateur. And uh, we even got – we have a wall where we honor our tour winners. And uh, Matt Wolf and Victor Hobben both won. So that team – You know, delivering that same message to them as freshmen and and daily, they did those things. And that's great inspiration for our young guys now to believe they can do the same thing. And to see Victor and Matt um, and Austin Eckrode out there starting to cut his teeth on the tour, they can see, well, gosh, it doesn't have to be that far away. Kristen Turo is another one.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: Um, You know, they can see that, wow, I have this dream and it doesn't have to be that far away, but I've got to go earn it every single day.
1: You mentioned that national championship team at Karsten Creek. What was it like winning at home in front of all your fans and supporters? That was incredible. I think
2: that's the ultimate. I don't think I could ever top that in a coaching career. To be able to deliver that to our fans and all the people that I mentioned that care about what we do and to do it in front of my family and friends that don't normally get to come, um, I think that's the, the pinnacle. Um, You know, Coach Holder asked me, I think the day after, he said, well, you were able to win one as a player, and then your team won one while you're coaching, you know, which one's better? And I told him two days after the fact that I thought player was better, Mm. you know, having the club in your hand, having Mm -hmm. that, that control. But after letting it sink in for a few weeks, months, I would change that and say, especially I don't know that I would say winning as a coach, but winning here in front of our fans—we had hosted the championship in 1973 here, which was Labron Harris's last year as the coach, and we finished second. We had hosted in 2003, and we finished second. We hosted in 2011, and we lost in the semifinals. So I guess that's a third-place finish. To finally be able to deliver family and friends and all of uh, Cowboy Nation is, uh, I, don't, I don't think I would ever be, be able to top that.
1: No, that had to be pretty cool. I remember watching it and, and just the sea of orange following y'all in there and just knowing all the hard work those kids have put in. But one last question, because I know you're busy. I always ask the coaches, how would you like and want your team to describe you as a coach?
0: Um... I
1: hope that they,
2: they feel like I love them mm-hmm. and would do anything to help them get where they want to go, whether that's on the golf course or off. Uh, I hope they'd describe me as competitive uh, and fair. And I'd love if they would describe what I said uh, about Coach Holder, that they had an example of in of, you know, a husband, a father, um, and a coach, an example of excellence in those, in those three things.
1: I'm sure that's how they describe you. That's what makes you one of the best in the business. Fair and consistency, and you'll get people to do anything you want. Alan, thanks for spending some time with me. Uh, continued good luck. I'm uh, going to enjoy following you. I'll be working a bunch of the golf centrals or college centrals, and uh, good luck to the Cowboys as they go into the spring.
2: Thanks, Jim. Uh, loves coming on, and, and uh, if you ever want me back, I'd be glad, glad to do it again.
1: Absolutely.